0: We talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting, our experts, myself, the communications email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed, because when we're stressed, we knee jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that, but the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20 somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab your email series for free on how to talk to your teen. It's a little different perspective, and it's what we base a lot of our conversation here in the show around. Parenting is all about setting limits and drawing boundaries. And we know when our kids were little, it was pretty straightforward. Like, don't go into the street. You don't touch the hot stove. Don't pull the dog's tail. These boundaries are almost more like rules. And it was pretty simple and pretty clear. But as our kids get older, the limits need to shift. We need to draw personal boundaries as well as these societal and household boundaries. and. You start to wonder, well, what kind of boundaries should we be setting? How do we give them room? How do we give ourselves space? And how can we do it in a way that really supports our teens and gives them room to grow? So, joining us to help us with this is Corin Colonnase Keck. Lauren is a conscious parenting coach, a podcast host, and a formal high school teacher who's going to chat with us about drawing boundaries, handling our emotions, and more. Lauren, welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about these very important topics.
0: So Lauren, I just mentioned you're a conscious parenting coach. Could you yes. just start off letting us know a little bit, like what is conscious parenting and how do you learn to do that?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a certified conscious parenting coach. I was trained by Dr. Shafali. And she developed a conscious parenting program around the idea that conscious parenting is aware parenting, present parenting, connected parenting. And it's all about having an intentional relationship with what is happening inside of me and being intentional about what happens outside of me. We talk a lot about triggers. Parents are often experiencing things with their children that feel uncomfortable or triggering. And conscious parenting allows us to really get to know our internal landscape, understand the source of our triggers, and manage the feelings and sensations that happen inside our bodies, and then intentionally choose to externalize what we want to externalize with our children. So I I find it really helpful in the sense that before I embarked on my conscious parenting journey, I found myself unconsciously reacting to certain things with my children and behaving in ways that I wasn't proud of, yelling, reacting in ways that weren't modeling the kind of mature adult behavior that I wanted to model for my children. And so conscious parenting helped me strengthen and clarify my relationship with what's going on inside me, and then feel empowered and authentic as I interact with my children and with anyone. So it's had benefits beyond just parenting.
0: Right, Lauren, and that's so interesting to hear you talk about it in this context because these are things that we talk about at Mighty Parenting. Mm -hmm. We talk about how we we make poor parenting choices when we're parenting from a place of fear, Mm
1: -hmm. or
0: when we are dealing with our own baggage, which is what you're talking about when you talk about triggers and things. So, I I love that you have like a systematic, programmatic way of helping us do that, and. A lot of that, I think, is going to come into play with what we're talking about today with this whole idea of drawing boundaries with our teens. And so I guess, well, I guess let's start here. What does it mean to draw boundaries with a teenager?
1: I love that question. And boundaries are so important and so often misunderstood. If I'm going to effectively and authentically draw a boundary in a mature way, I need to embody that boundary. One of the things we talk to our parenting clients about when they're struggling with boundaries, with children of any age, but this absolutely applies with teenagers and young adults. If a parent is struggling to hold a boundary We'll ask them, what is your embodiment quotient of this boundary? How strong and clear does this boundary live in your body? Or are you do you have a complicated relationship with this boundary internally? So you start, worrying that, you know, maybe you're being mean by holding this boundary. So the boundary keeps moving because you don't want to feel like you're being mean to your child and you're not clear and grounded in the boundary as a life affirming boundary that you can hold with love and empathy and compassion. So whether you're holding a boundary with a toddler who you know, wants to touch fire, or whether you're holding a boundary with your teenager who keeps breaking curfew, and then you are in the position of, what do I do about this? There's, we've agreed on this, you know, let's imagine hypothetically, the curfew has been discussed and agreed upon. So it's not just the parent saying this is how it's going to be my way or the highway deal with it i usually encourage parents to have open discussions with their teenagers and young adults and say here's what i need here's what's important to me it's important to me that you're home by a certain time for these reasons health sleep so on and so forth what do you think about that what time would you imagine that you should be home or that you would choose to be home let's have a discussion let's agree on something. And then once we've agreed on it, if that if that contract is not being honored, parents often struggle with taking it personally, feeling insulted, getting angry at their child for not honoring the boundary. And those types of reactions are an external experience that parallels an inner experience that the parent is having where they don't want to have to enforce this boundary. It's uncomfortable for them. They just want the child to obey it so they don't have to enforce it because that's making them uncomfortable. And that discomfort can be understood and transformed so that parents can confidently and comfortably maintain the boundaries that are important to them that they've agreed upon and co-create a situation with their children that teaches and models the honoring of boundaries and limits.
0: It's so interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about the places where I draw a boundary and it's just not an issue. Mm -hmm. And then the places where either there's a tug of war or maybe I do keep the boundary and hold the boundary. But like you said, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. So therefore there's, even when it's being held, there's this internal dialogue for myself to go through and it's tiring. It takes time. It takes energy. And Mm -hmm. I don't like that. And those are the things when we talk about exhausted parenting, I think a lot of times that's what happens is We can be tired from a lot of different things. But holding those boundaries that we aren't totally clear on, if we are already tired, it's like we just don't have it in us to do that anymore. And so then we just go, fine, whatever. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I have those things too. I mean, even though I have learned how to get clear and solid and embody the boundary internally in a loving way so that I can uphold it externally with compassion and empathy and like firmness, but a firmness that's not angry or punishing Even though I have learned these skills, I teach these skills. I still have my areas with my two adolescents. I have, like you said, the areas where I'm so clear. I'm so certain in my body that what I'm doing is life-affirming to everyone involved, I have no trouble maintaining it. And then I have the other areas where I'm still not quite sure. And I have these stories that still live inside me that say things like, well, maybe, is that really necessary? Is this really the best thing to do? You're not sure, look how they're reacting. What does that make you think and feel? you wish this was different right now. Maybe if you relax this a little, you'll get what you want. All these different voices and stories. And a big theme of conscious parenting, to parent consciously, we as parents need to know ourselves deeply internally. When we are not aware, when we are not conscious of all the stories that live inside us, our triggers, the things that make us most uncomfortable, the things we most want to avoid, when we don't know what they are, we're unconsciously reacting to them without awareness, When we start doing the inner work to get clear on why do I struggle with this kind of boundary when other people I know have no trouble with that boundary, but they have trouble with this other boundary that I have no trouble with. Why is that true for me? If I can do inner work to get clear on why and to transform the story that's affecting my ability to hold that boundary in a clear and loving way then I can shift these things. But I'm a work in progress like all of us humans. So I have my categories where I have shifted things and they feel better. And then I have my areas for growth where I'm still struggling. So I you know, I can relate to my parenting clients who are in the struggle, because I'm still in the struggle too. And I can offer suggestions and guidance and steps and tools to transform the areas that we want to change.
0: Well, there's the knowing and the implementing and implementing always takes time. I just got an email yesterday from mm-hmm. a listener who was telling me how, how much they appreciate the show and the things that they're learning.
1: Mm-hmm. And that,
0: then they said, and implementing, it's a little different story. It's like, <laughs> that's a work yes. in progress. I'm work, And I'm like, absolutely. I am too. And I shared that on the show that my kids are in their twenties and I'm still learning and growing and trying and. And I come home and I go, okay, yes, I had this great interview. We talked about having this conversation. And then I look around and go, I'm tired. I don't (laughs) want to have that conversation. Maybe tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I also always love talking with my parent clients about sustainability for ourselves. I need to make small, sustainable changes. I... It's not sustainable for me to try to transform everything overnight. It doesn't work anyway, but it's just not sustainable. It's not honoring my human limitations and my need for sleep, you know? So, um, I love to encourage small, sustainable steps toward what we're trying to move toward. And I love being in process and really loving and appreciating the process and releasing myself and I encourage my clients to, to release themselves from the idea of a finish line. Because when I release myself from that, and I feel like I'm taking small steps in the direction I want to go, and I can feel proud of that while acknowledging my areas for growth, you know, I have those and I always will. I just think that honoring our own human need for rest and doing things in a sustainable way so that we're not stretching ourselves too thin is so important.
0: And there's a different mindset, a different feeling around thinking there is a finish line to learning how to parent Mm -hmm. and there's pressure to push yourself to get there versus I'm on this journey and I'm learning as I go Mm -hmm. and just kind of enjoy that journey. But I do think Lauren, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I (laughs) do think that while small sustainable changes are really important, there are also certain changes we make that can kind of leapfrog us Mm. in that So for example, if we're going to, I want to talk here about how to decide what boundaries to draw and how to draw them as we learn to make better choices around that, I think we get exponential relief from that constant pressure and pushback from the kids and all of that.
1: I hear you. And I'm, I'm a both and Believer. So I think that small sustainable changes are really valuable. And there are absolutely situations, and I see this with my clients, and I can even think back in my own journey about big leaps forward, moments of clarity that catalyzed what felt like a huge change. But because I had shifted what was happening inside me, in a really profound way, I was able to show up differently externally with my children and in other areas of my life. And it resulted in what felt more like very, um, big changes in a short amount of time. So I honor that part of the process as well. I think I default to advocating for small, sustainable changes and, I see the value in the big leaps as well.
0: I agree. Totally. And I think that some of these small sustainable changes are things that can leapfrog in the relationship with the kids. And so let mm-hmm. me maybe try an example.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I listen to you today and I get a little more clarity about when and how to draw a boundary. Mm-hmm. And so I let go of some some boundaries, some rules, some whatever that I was hanging on to. My child experiences this as more freedom, more trust, more responsibility, more control over their life. And we've talked about how much our kids need control over their life, especially Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. the teen years. And then I was going to say doubly so. It's even more than that through the COVID experience. They really need to have some control. Mm -hmm. So all of those things, as they experience that, I feel like it can really leapfrog the relationship, which also means that all those little areas that you let go of, you now don't have to have the constant push and pull. You don't have to spend energy holding boundaries that you let go of for good reason I'm not saying mm-hmm. just drop all the boundaries right but I'm I'm imagining that you're going to talk to us about when it actually makes sense to draw one and and how to do that in a comparing and empathetic way which again builds our relationship with our child so all those things start to come together and even those those small sustainable changes can sometimes, get us a bigger relief than, than just a small little bit of relief. Absolutely.
1: And I'm so glad that you brought up the word control because control was absolutely in my notes for something to talk about in relation to boundaries, because the, Two big mistakes that I see parents making are trying to control their children's feelings or trying to control their children's behavior. So in my experience, permissive parents that struggle to uphold almost any boundaries, they're trying to control their children's feelings. They want and need their Their children to feel happy, to feel good, to like them. And so in their effort to try to control their children's feelings, they lose their ability to effectively hold boundaries. Conversely, authoritarian parents try to control their children's behavior And especially as our children get older, like you said earlier, with very young children, if a toddler is going to run in the street and you pick up the toddler and you control their body by picking it up and saving them from running into oncoming traffic, and they might not like it. And we teach in conscious parenting that in that moment, it's really valuable to empathize with the toddler's frustration. There's a huge difference between grabbing up a running toddler to save their life and then yelling at them. Don't go in the street. I told you, don't go in the street. That is one, not understood or received by the toddler in any way that is helpful. And two, that's us discharging our discomfort around the situation. If we grab up the toddler who ran for the street and we say, I've got you. I'm going to keep you safe. And the toddler is flailing and trying to hit us because they want freedom and they want to get down. And we say, Whoa, ouch. It's not okay to hit. I'm going to keep you safe. And we're holding the toddler and we're walking farther away from the street and we're communicating with them with clarity and empathy. That makes a huge difference. You know, translate that to our teenagers and our adults. Like I said already, permissive parents are trying to control their children's feelings, authoritarian parents are trying to control their behavior authentic parents, which is the language I like to use, if you're conscious and you're connected to yourself and you're able to show up authentically, you can guide, model, lead, hold boundaries, refrain from interfering with natural consequences that are very important teachers, allow children to have some sense of control over their own lives, to live their own lives on their own path, while we remain present and a source of love, guidance, assistance, but without that element of control. And this is a struggle for some of my parenting clients to disentangle control from care control from, you know, (laughs) if I don't try to control my child's either feelings or behavior, Am I caring for them? Am I doing my job? What's my job? You know, parents, parents need a job description. (laughs) A lot of parents, they're not clear on what exactly their job is. And I wasn't either. I mean, when, when my children were young, I tried to control their behavior. I tried to control their feelings. I tried to do all these things that I was doing out of automatic reactions of discomfort inside me that I did not completely understand. And as I've progressed through the various programs I've done and what I've learned and what I practice and what I teach, I'm moving toward being an authentic parent on my own journey, becoming the best version of myself, benefiting from my interactions with my children for my own growth, while also attuning to where they are, what they need, trying to provide what they need to interact with, so that they can also make choices and grow and develop. But it ha- it it needs to be their choice. I can't force my children to mature. I can create the conditions in which they have the best chance when I'm of about maturing your and becoming autonomous the and self sufficient. And, and of those course, are we're really terrified in that moment, right? About at any age, but it's coming as out they when we're older.
0: yelling and angry. It's just because we were scared and we do the same thing with our teens. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's not about right. them running into the oh road. My gosh. It's, yes. it can be about mm-hmm. choices they make about right. academic work or friendships or activities mm-hmm. or lack of activities. There's so many things and it's our fear oftentimes that's coming through And so that wraps back around Mm -hmm. to your idea of we have to know ourselves, We have to know our triggers and we need to be able to, just like you talked calmly to the toddler, but allowed them to have their feelings. That was one thing I noticed in that is you didn't say, stop crying, calm down, or stop being angry at me. You said, Oh, okay. Ouch. We can't hit that hurts, Mm -hmm. but you didn't tell them, how they should feel, which is exactly what you said we shouldn't be doing anyway, But right, or, or not that we shouldn't be doing. That is something that we want to move away from doing. And so with boundaries with our teens, right. I can totally see we're understanding ourselves, understanding our triggers, a fear, concern, mm-hmm. just want them to not make the same mistakes we made. And, and making judgments about things they do, right? All of that can come together. So what does it look like for us to, mm-hmm. to select places where it makes sense to draw boundaries? Because if we're trying to control, especially if we're trying to control their behavior, there can be a thousand little rules, right? So how, do we, how can we go about drawing healthy boundaries? Boundaries that are healthy for us and Mm -hmm. our teens, and that we're more likely to be able to hold to.
1: great question. I think I'm going to use the curfew example again. In my teenage years, curfew was a huge struggle. And I am my, neither of my children are driving yet, so I'm not at that place from the parenting perspective yet, but I'm I see it coming in the distance. And I remember when I was a teenager and I got my driver's license and I had access to a vehicle, And, you know, my mother set a curfew for me and she didn't have a conscious parenting coach to help her through the process. So my mother decided what she thought my curfew should be. And she told me what it was. And I had friends who had different Curfews, later curfews. And I felt frustrated and I felt like my mother didn't trust me as much as the other parents trusted their children and it wasn't fair. And so I had this resistance to obeying her curfew and I would frequently break curfew and come home late and she would like you so beautifully described out of fear because I now deeply understand with empathy what I didn't understand when I was 17, which is my mother was afraid I was dead when I didn't come home on time part of her started panicking that I had been in a car accident and I was dead. And when I breezed in the door 20 minutes late, because I was in resistance to obeying her boundary that I didn't agree with. And she freaked out and yelled at me and took my keys away and grounded me for a month and did all the things that she did out of fear and frustration and also layers of feeling disrespected by me. She set a boundary and I'm violating it and we have a relationship. So what I would suggest to parents and what I'm going to be attempting once my children are driving, it's really important to recognize that the parent-child relationship is a two-way street. It's a relationship between two people. So if I were coaching my mother today or when I coach clients who have older children than I have, I would say, sit down and have a conversation, open up a discussion. You're getting your driver's license. You're, I'm going to, you know, allow you to have access to a car or maybe they've saved up enough money to buy their own car, which would be really cool. That wasn't my reality. I was granted access to a car and then I still violated the boundary, but, um, neither here nor there. I, recommend having a conversation, you know, for the parent to put what is important to them on the table, what they value, and then invite the child to be part of the discussion, the child, the teenager, the young adult, what's important to you? What do you value? And if my mom had invited me into a conversation like that, and if I had said to her, all of my closest friends have a curfew that's an hour later than mine. I don't understand. Is it because you don't trust me? Do you not like me as much as their parents like them? What's going on? And if my mom had been able to say whatever her reasons were, you know, after, after we wrap this up, maybe I'll give her a call and say, why did you pick that curfew? Because I never asked. We never had that conversation, but if she had explained why that was her curfew, or maybe she would have, Shifted it half an hour, maybe we could have negotiated and met in the middle, and then I would have only had to be home half an hour earlier than my friends, which is about what I usually showed up as since I was violating the boundary. Anyway, the point is, co-create something that honors both people, that acknowledges both sides, and then hold it with firm loving empathy. So let's imagine we had this conversation. We had a contract. I had agreed to it. And then I'm still violating it as the teenager. Well, there need to be consequences that also ideally were agreed upon and known ahead of time. If you randomly come up with a consequence in your moment of frustration, like my mother, you're grounded for a month, give me your keys. You know, then I just felt layer upon layer of injustice and I lacked understanding of why this was my reality. And I felt like my mom was mean. And so, you know, if you have agreed upon consequences, if you have a mutually respectful relationship and then the other person is violating what's been agreed upon, there need to be consequences to that. And the communication around that needs to make it clear that, you know, This is how we honor relationships. Our parent-child relationships are our blueprints for all other relationships. And when the parent-child relationship is the parent's way or else, and it's one-sided, we're modeling one-sided relationships for our children as they enter into adulthood and other relationships. When it's two-sided and it's honoring both people and you have conversations about what's important and why, and you listen to both sides and perhaps you you know, compromise or you can come to an agreement, then oftentimes if it's violated, when it's violated, you can have consequences and, and have additional conversations. If I came home late and instead of my mom out of fear yelling at me, instead said, why are you late? What happened? You know, tell me why you're coming in at this time. And I had been invited into a conversation and then maybe she listened to why I was late and why I didn't want to leave at that moment and what my friends were doing and then she might listen to me and hear me and say okay I hear you now I need you to understand what I've been going through these last 20 minutes when the clock hits 10 PM and you're not home, I'm worried that you've been in a car accident. We didn't have cell phones back then, by the way, when I was driving as a teenager now, you know, but again, I'm like, I don't want to text my kids while they're driving or call them. Cause then, the, then they'll get in the car accident. I'm afraid they're going to get into. So, you know, I can imagine a future where I'm watching the clock tick by and my child isn't home yet. But if she had explained to me what she had went through and invited me to hear her, understand her, empathize with her and modeled that for me by hearing me, understanding me, empathizing with me, a lot of the problems that people usually have naturally resolve when the parent is co-creating that type of relationship.
0: I Appreciate your example. It is so clear, not just about curfews, but you outlined a process for us Mm -hmm. and I can see places where I had used this, not knowing what it was called in a little, just a little different way for me. Mm -hmm. But I had realized that, you know, the kids say, for example, aren't, weren't getting chores done. Mm -hmm. And instead of digging in, being more difficult about when and how they'd happen or standing over them while they do it or something, I would ask them, well, one, I'd ask why they didn't do it. Sometimes. Other times, what i would <laughs> learned to do was to just ahead of time go, okay, these are things I want done in the house and I really want them done by this day and time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When would you like to do your chores? Or even I'll put a list out and say, these are the things that need to be done. Everybody pick two. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of first come first serve on the sign up so that gets people motivated to go pick stuff. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so they Absolutely. What natu- they want to do, right? Natural motivation. <laughs> right. But the other one that's really interesting is actually also a curfew example. Mm. When I was growing up, I asked To I went to my dad one day and I said, I want to stay out later tonight. I think I was going to a dance or something. He said, Mm -hmm. what do you mean stay out later? I said, well, I want to stay out later than my curfew. And he just looked at me. He said, you don't have a curfew. (laughs) And I just stopped for a minute and I thought back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't. I just assumed I did. Like everybody Mm -hmm. else had one, but all my parents ever did was say, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? When are you Mm -hmm. coming home? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, everybody else had curfews or the events would end and there wasn't anything else to do anyway. So I was always coming at home at a time that made sense to them. Mm -hmm. And so I did the same thing with my kids. I don't even know if I really thought that through, but from the time they were little, it was always just, they're going here, you know, they're doing this and, I would ask, you know, okay, where are you going? Who are you going to be with? Oh, what are you guys up to? Oh, that sounds like fun. Like it's a little more conversation than just three questions typically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but even just three questions, where are you going? Who are you going to be with when you're coming home? And, and of course, who's driving and all those things too. right? But unless the answer didn't sit well with me, it was fine. And, and usually the reason it didn't sit well was um, I need to go to bed. You've been out until <laughs> what is late for me. Cause I, I go to sleep by like 10. Right. So this is really late for me. And then we came up with another solution for one of my girls. She had close friends. I knew them. I knew their parents. And so we came up with a plan for me to be able to go to bed while she was still out and about. And mm-hmm. people who are long time listeners, I haven't talked about this in a long time. I want to share it real quickly, I called it the texty thing. And I still do. She's 24 and in my house with COVID going on. And we still do the texty thing. And that is <laughs> she's at a friend's house and she is leaving to come home. Her friend, she has to text her friend when she gets home. And the friend knows that if, she has, if they haven't heard from her within 15 minutes, they are to call me because the phone mm-hmm. will wake me up and then mm-hmm. I will know that there is a problem. Mm-hmm. And otherwise I can go to sleep because I know there's an alarm that will tell me if there's a problem. Because that's the <laughs> only reason I needed her home earlier was mm-hmm. for me, which didn't really seem fair. So it's kind of, like you said, we had this conversation on, well, this is what I need. And they're like, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. And well, okay. How can we meet both needs? And it wasn't just, well, you have to come home earlier or you have to stay up later. We went, well, what can we do so you can stay out later? And you said both. And right. Yes. We can can both get what we need. And and I love this. This is how can we do this? And it was this crazy solution we came up with when she was in high school, but it's, It's just this idea of the conversation. And I guess part of the reason I wanted to share it is that it works. And in areas where I, if I don't do that, or if I start not drawing a boundary, just letting things go completely where there should be, then I start getting those internal feelings that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because this wasn't not drawing a boundary. This was just okay, what do you want? This is what we want. It all meets. So we don't even need to discuss it. But there are times where it's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I don't like what she's telling me, but I'm just too tired to deal with this. That's
1: different. hmm Yes. Your example is so beautiful and helpful because one of the other things I regularly talk with my clients about is each family is free to find what Uniquely works for them. And I love how your example and your process highlights the idea that boundaries are to protect us and keep us safe. So you were able to identify what you needed. You needed a system in place so that you were alerted if your child left to come home and then didn't make it home in the time that they should have, because that would alert you to maybe they were in a car accident, one of the very common parental fears once our children are driving. And so, or, you know, perhaps there were other things as well. Maybe they got lost. I don't know. Now, now they have smartphones to tell them where to go, but, um, once you identified what you wanted and what you needed, and you found a way to honor that and your child was able to express what they wanted and they needed, and you found a way to honor that. Yes, exactly. When you can honor both your teaching and modeling mutual respect understanding the honoring of each other, the honoring of boundaries. And in those cases, it feels almost natural to honor those boundaries because everyone is being heard and valued and included in the process. So that is beautiful. I'm going to keep that in mind. And another thing that I was thinking while you were talking was if you're a parent and like me, you had a curfew as a teenager, and so your default assumption could be that children need curfews and I just need to negotiate what it is with them, but they must have one. And then I hear a beautiful story like yours that highlights the possibility of not having a curfew in that way, not having like something you could let go, a boundary that you could check in and go, wait a second, do I need my child home by 10 PM? Or do I just need to know that someone's going to call me if they leave and they don't make it home in the time that they should have okay if someone's going to call me then they can be out till 11 they can be out till midnight i know i'll be woken up if there's something that i need to be alerted to then then it's solved and you don't we we can let go of the things that maybe we experienced in childhood like in my example and you know it's interesting to me to note that you didn't have a curfew as a teenager when you were the child so you somewhat perhaps naturally gravitated towards the option of not not recreating that with your children because we tend to repeat what we've experienced that is a very common human behavior and so in my case as i'm looking ahead to my children driving now i get to take the gift from this conversation that is, oh, do my children even need a time curfew or do I just need to know where they are and who they're going to be with and what kind of system would I like to have in place to honor what I want and need and to listen to what they want and need. And that's just such a perfect example of how when we get clear on what we want, what we need, and we listen to both people, we can, we can come up with win-win solutions. And then there's no resistance to honoring it Because it's win-win. Yeah, I like that. So Lauren, for anyone who wants to get in touch
0: with you or learn more from you, where can they do that?
1: So I co-host a podcast called Soul Path Parenting, and you can find that anywhere podcasts are available. And we also have a website, soulpathparenting.com. And I'm also a certified conscious parenting coach, and my coaching business website is sunshowercoaching.com. And so if anyone has questions or they want to learn more, you can find me through either of those.
0: Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's very interesting. And again, even in their 20s, or as you said, other relationships, I mean, we're always drawing boundaries with my husband, with clients, with friends, Mm -hmm. with families. We're always doing that. So I love having this lens to look through that. Thank you very much, Lauren.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. Remember to share the podcast with another parent and also remember to visit MightyParenting.com and grab your email series on how to talk to your teen. And thank you just for being here today, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you are a Mighty Parent, so you got this. And I will see you next week.